we begin the message, I want to say, I want to say Seahawks by 10. I mean, I don't have a dog in the fight. I just think, I think, what are you going to do about Marshawn Lynch? What are you going to do about Skittles? What are you going to do about Beast Mode? You hear me, Tom Brady? We're putting this on the podcast, by the way. Tom Brady, what are you going to do about that? <clears throat> I'm the only one in my house that believes that. Rowan has on a Gronkowski jersey this morning, so that's where the rest of my family is. Losers. <clears throat> All right, hey, why don't we do this? We're going to continue our series this morning. This is week three of a four-week series called Get Wisdom. And uh, we have been walking through, in some ways... Uh, the book of Proverbs, not so much walking through, but the book of Proverbs has sort of been the, what we might call the lyrical backdrop to everything we've been doing, and we've spent the first two weeks looking at Proverbs. Uh, we are not going to look at Proverbs this morning. In fact, I want you to turn to First Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter 3. You might be thinking, well, why are you doing a series on Proverbs and then not reading from Proverbs? Well, I want to read from First Kings 3 because this is essentially the story about the moment that created the atmosphere in Solomon's life that led to the book of, the book of Proverbs. I keep saying brook, the brooker, the brook of Proverbs. I speak for a living. The brook of Proverbs. Yeah, I don't know. This is going to be a disaster already. You guys, you guys like a good train wreck occasionally? Amen. Yeah, we're going to just crash it. So this is sort of the story behind... The entire book. And before we read the scripture, I want to start with a question. It's okay if it's participatory a little bit. You can call out. No one will shun you at all. Here's a question. What would you do? What would you do if God gave you a blank check? What would you do? What would you do if God came to you and said, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you? What would you ask for? His kingdom to come. Peter said Ferrari. Rachel said more Rachels. Uncle Bobby said what? More wishes. See, that, and that's the right answer. In first service, I think, I think it was Noah who, more wishes. It's like, there you go. There's some people who are thinking in this room. What did you say, Uncle Bobby? Blacktop the parking lot. Blacktop the parking lot. By the way, we had that bid one time. It was like 65000 Anybody want to write the check, we'll receive it. We'll blacktop it. We'll put a plaque on the front that says your name on it. We'll paint your name in gold letters as big as you want all over that blacktop. Give me the 65000 What else would you ask for? Like if God came and said, hey, ask me anything you want, I'll give it to you. Bring a revival, save all the people. It's pretty good. You guys are super Christians. A million dollars. Finally, someone's getting honest here. Peter, Tasha, they're, the, they're, they're the, actually the most honored. What, Peter? A tr- Why stop there? I, I, God, I want a money factory. Right? Yeah. See, part of what's going on this morning, at least 
for some of us in the room is that the purple chairs are exerting a power over you and it kept you from being really honest. It's good to know that there's two people in here that, that, the, that the Jedi magic that's in these purple chairs, it doesn't work on them. It's, it's Peter and Tasha. They, they're free from that. That's right, God, here's the deal. Look, if God came to you and said, hey, anything you want, tell me, I'll give it to you. Most of us would be like, ton of money, hot chicks, fast car, big house, all my enemies dead. You know, something along those lines, right? Yeah. That's what this passage is about. Let's read it. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he married his daughter. Now, this makes sense. Right? Like if you're the king of Israel and you want to keep Israel safe, and if Egypt, big giant strong nation, is underneath you, what's the easiest way to keep your nation safe? Marry their daughter. That way if, if, if Pharaoh decides he wants to start war with you, he's at least potentially going to kill his own daughter. So thinking. So he brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace at the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places. There's a lot of stuff we're not going to get into because the temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. And Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that offering altar. Think about this. Think about a thousand bulls. It's a lot of blood. It's a lot of firewood. A lot of guts. Yeah, anybody in here ever split an animal open? Yeah, I mean, everybody in here should gut a deer at least once. It just, it just brings the Bible into a whole new place. You know, until you're elbow deep in a hot, steamy carcass... You don't really understand what worshiping the Lord used to be like. like. We got it easy. All you have to do, come in and Hannah sings pretty. Glenn plays awesome. You put your hands up. It's all good. Used to, it was elbow deep in a hot, steamy carcass. I love you, Lord. And then at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask whatever you want me. Ask whatever you want me to give you. I can't even read today. And Solomon said, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Solomon wasn't a little child. He's a full-grown man. It's just a way of saying, I don't really know what I'm doing. And your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and a discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience with me and keep my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. 
Then Solomon awoke and realized that it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Interesting passage. That's what this passage is. It's God coming to Solomon and saying, Hey, blank check, what do you want? Anything you want, I'll give it to you. Anything you want. And it has a sort of a surprise twist in it, in that Solomon could have asked for anything, and somehow, 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 had enough sense to ask for wisdom. Stunning. It's stunning. There's a lot being revealed here. Solomon doesn't ask for money. He doesn't ask for fame. He doesn't ask for power. He doesn't ask for all of his enemies to be subdued. Yes, for wisdom. Why do you think why do you think that Solomon did not ask for money, fame, power, and for his enemies to be subdued beneath his feet? You thought about that? Why did he not? He already had it. In large degree, you're absolutely right. He already had it. He was the king. He's the king of Israel. Not only that, but Solomon is sitting at the very pinnacle of Israel power. The entire time that Israel had ever been a nation in ancient times, it was never more powerful than it was the very moment that Solomon became its king. Here's sort of the story really quick, the 32nd version. God makes promises to Abram. Abraham has some sons who also have some sons. Abraham great-great-grandson is a guy named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel that are enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They get taken out of Egypt by who? Moses. We talked about that later, not long ago. And they get led into the desert. And for 40 years, this slave band, not a nation, becoming a nation, 12 tribes are out in the desert wandering around. And then one day God says, hey, you know what? You should take the land. Go into the Canaan land. That's going to be yours by promise. Every place you step is yours. And Joshua and Caleb, they went and they took the land. And when they had taken the land, at the end of Joshua's life in particular and Caleb, they divided up the land. And every tribe got its corner. Uh, Dan got his corner. And Naphtali got his corner. And Judah got his corner. And Israel got his corner. And and then a really strange thing happened. Uh, It's probably a lot like your family. Uh, They started kind of like fighting with themselves. Right? How many of you all understand this? That like if somebody messes with you and your brother, you pummel that guy. And you and your brother are best friends. And then when you go back home and there's not the, the dude who's messing with you, you fight amongst yourselves. Right? Thick as thieves. Like it's us against the world. And as soon as the door closes at home, it's like you're at each other's throat. Anybody have a growing up experience like that? That's Israel. Okay. And then David comes along. After Saul comes David and... David has this unique ability for gathering the nation. And so for the very first time, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom come together. They begin to agree. There used to be two capitals for a while in Jerusalem. They couldn't decide. We're going to have it up north. We're going to have it down south. David brings everything together, and they have a southern kingdom. And he says, you know what? Capital is going to be Jerusalem. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be this is where we're going to do it. And everybody got in line, and everybody was happy. And not only were they unified against their enemies, but they were also unified against one another. They weren't no longer fighting the way they used to. High point. And because they were no longer fighting like that, extreme blessing came around. David was like this political genius. He was a war genius. He was a worship genius. And just tremendous blessing. Israel began to just flourish. And then a lot of stuff happened. A lot of really bad stuff like Absalom. Maybe you read some of that. And then Solomon ends up being 
king after David died. And so Solomon is sitting on the throne at the pinnacle of Israeli power. And he worships. And he has a God encounter. And God says, what do you want? Anything you ask me, I'll give it to you. And he says, I need wisdom. I need a discerning heart. I don't know what to do. So even though he had money, even though he had fame, even though he had power, even though he had a unified government and his enemies had been subdued, it's still a stunning thing to say to God. Maybe he didn't ask for them because he had already had them, but I believe there was something just in his heart. In some ways, David, David's life had become the context for the God encounter that Solomon had. David's life was the context for the God encounter Solomon had in a couple of ways. One was that up to this point, we don't see anything in the scripture that gives us any clue that, that Solomon's relationship with God was personal at all. Like it, it said that he walked in his father's David's ways, but there was, there was no interaction. Uh, this is the first moment that we see where Solomon begins to have some kind of a personal relationship with God. And that certainly wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the fact that David was a man after God's heart. And so David provides the context there. But then also just in the fact that David provided the throne for his son. And one of the things that we see is somehow, because of the context that David provided for Solomon, it provided, it provided the ability, the really quiet, the subtle ability for, David, for Solomon to ask rightly of the Lord when he gets the blank check. Does this make sense? I've spent some time here on this because one of the things I want to get at is every single time you and I have God encounters, every single time you and I have these open heaven moments where God comes and says, hey, what are you doing? Every time we experience grace, every time we experience tremendous favor, outpouring, uh, amazing things, usually, usually, almost every single time, we need to realize with humility of heart that we're probably, we're probably operating off of someone else's work. And you even hear it, you even hear it in what Solomon has to say. He says, you've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked in your faithfulness. It's, just, it's, it's in him. Solomon doesn't say, wow, you're making this deal with me because I'm awesome. He says, no, you're making this deal with me because you're awesome and my father David was awesome. Where does, what does wisdom look like? We talked about this last week. Wisdom looks like two things in particular. Humility. Why? Because you've got to be humble to, to get wisdom. Because humility says, I don't know everything already. I have lack. I, I have need. And then secondly, we see that it's relational. There was something about David that provided the context for Solomon to receive something extraordinary from God. It's relational. Wisdom is relational rather than transactional. Remember last week when we read in Proverbs chapter 8, Solomon wrote, call wisdom what? Your sister. It's an interesting remark. Why? He's... he's Pointing that wisdom, a wisdom heart, a wisdom lifestyle, it's relational and it's not transactional. He goes on in Proverbs 8 to make the point that, that adultery and that prostitution, these are transactional and they're in fact the very opposite of wisdom. What is wisdom? It's, it's a humble heart and there's something about wisdom that's relational. It's the atmosphere of the heart that says it can't just be good for me, it's got to be good for us. And so everything we've talked about up to this point for the last two weeks, we kind of see on the screen this morning. One of the things we see in Solomon this morning is that in a world of almost unlimited possibilities, Solomon chose character over possessions. This is wisdom. 
This is wisdom. He was blessed by heritage, and he was blessed by God's presence. And in that place, he still chooses character over possessions. Now, this is a really big deal because the spirit of the age is trying to convince me and you every single day, in some ways that are really loud and some other ways that are really quiet, that the thing to do is to pursue possessions. Like, pursue pursue this, pursue that, pursue money, pursue fame, pursue power, pursue sex, pursue autonomy, pursue independence, and the kingdom of heaven here is beginning to interject in a way and say, no, what would be better is to pursue character. I mean, you understand that Kim Kardashian has no talents. I mean, she's a pretty lady. But it's not like that was developed, right? Uh, and then you ask yourself, well, how does a person with no talent become world famous? Well, she has somehow tapped into and fully embodied the spirit of the age. That, that, that the good life is acquisition of stuff. And we are somehow, in some ways, living vicariously through her. Like, if I can't have it, at least I can watch the person who does. Does this make sense? God comes with a blank check. And Solomon doesn't write out keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> Somehow. See, the world pursues all of these things. Money almost always being first, sex being not far behind, along with power and fame. Here's a couple examples. I want to put some lyrics up for you this week again. I just keep going back to Kanye. He's such a deep well. Check this out. He says, whether you're broke or rich, you got to get biz. Having money's not everything. Not having it is. Slick turn of phrase, isn't it? I, I love this guy. Just lo- But that turn of phrase from Kanye is the spirit of the age personified. Then if you're maybe a little bit older. Larry. Maybe you know this one. Money. Get away. You got to get a good job, good pay, and you're okay. Money. It's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. New car caviar. Four-star daydream. Think I'll buy myself a football team. Here's what's being said in some ways. God comes to the guy with everything. This is, what's, this is what's really, really interesting to me in this passage. God comes to the guy with everything and says, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. How many of you understand that when God asks questions, he's not looking for answers? And secondly, if God comes to you and makes a kind of deal that goes like this, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you, that he's telling Solomon, you've got everything, and you still have needs. Does this make sense? It's, see, we have to learn how to listen to the, to the quieter thing that's being said in Scripture. See, a lot of us just read up here. We've got to learn how to listen to the subharmonics. Yeah, Solomon has everything. Everybody in Israel would have pointed in Solomon and said, that guy's got everything. He's got like the best food. He's got the best wine. He's got the hottest chicks. He's got a lot of them. He's got a killer house. 
killer house. He's got so much steak. He just like, he just butchers like a thousand of them every day. Like, no big deal. Everybody in Israel would have said, Solomon has no need. But God comes to him and starts asking questions. And when God asks questions, he's not, he's not digging for answers for himself. He's beginning to point, poke, and prod at our own heart to reveal to our own selves what's in there. And when God makes a deal like, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you, the subtext is, you have everything, but you still have great needs. See, you can have everything and still have great needs. This is, this is part of the wisdom shift that needs to happen, even for us. The world tells you, go for everything. Hey, listen, I can tell you right now, you can go for everything and still be a broken person who has needs. You can end up with everything. You can be rich. You can have a hot wife and a handsome husband. You can have a giant house. You can have two boats. You can have one car that you never even drive. You just like park it out front. You can have all this stuff. You can have a good reputation. You can have people praise you. And at the end of the day, you can be a broken person on the inside who has needs. Wisdom is in some way the realization, the good, sensical realization that I need God. Like I need, like I'm, I need him. Like it doesn't matter what my bank account says. Doesn't what my, matter what my friends say. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I need God. If God's asking you questions, He is trying to shake you awake. If any of us had had an encounter like this, we probably would have asked for a bigger house, fatter bank account, corner office. We'd ask for those people who screwed us over to get what's coming to them. You know that jerk who screwed you over. You'd be like, God, give it to him three times again. We'd ask for a little smackdown on the teacher who doesn't like my kid. Like, here's the deal. You send your kids to school, eventually you're going to get a teacher they don't, that doesn't like them. Yeah. And when you have that year, you know, if God comes and says, hey, blank check, what do you want? Uh, kill the teacher. <laughs> Depends on how emotional it is. You'd ask for another chance at love. You'd ask to get pregnant or maybe to not have gotten pregnant. But the fact that God comes to a guy who has it all and says, what do you want, is a telling story. It's one thing to be king. It's one thing to be king. But when God's asking questions like that, it tells us that God is wondering, what kind of king? It's good to be rich. It's one thing to be rich. But God is prodding and he's poking to see how the rich act. How did they get to where they are? And how are they doing now that they are there? You might want to even consider your own life and make a picture. Spend a little time thinking about your hopes and dreams. And hopefully you and I are not chasing the outcomes more than the means. Wow, that rhymed again. I got Kanye anointing second service too. More, Lord. <clears throat> See, I, I'll just take one little rabbit trail here for a moment. Um, it's good to laugh in church. Uh, there, there was a season in church where I've been in church meetings where people fell on the floor in the middle of a sermon and started laughing and laughed for two hours. I'm totally good with that, by the way. Okay, now. Here's what's crazy. 
God comes with an incredible offer to Solomon, and Solomon chooses wisdom. And the text says that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for that. I love this idea. There are some things that you can ask God for that make him happy. Like our, our, our life with God is not this boring, humdrum, one-way street. It's like, it's this, it's this interstate of connection and, and back and forth. And there was something about what Solomon said to God that, that pleased the Lord. Like I, I want to be the kind of person who brings pleasure to the Lord. Not just feels his pleasure, that's one thing. But I want to be someone who brings pleasure to the Lord. Like, I want, I, want, I want to be someone who, if God comes and asks me something, that my answer would put a smile on his face. Isn't that amazing? God has reserved some part of his heart to be so vulnerable that our interactions with him can actually bring him joy. Like, this is, to me, this is amazing. Because a lot of us have this theology that says, well, God knows everything all the time. And part of the subtext of the theology uh, where God knows everything all the time is this. Uh, God can't be surprised, and if God can't be surprised, uh, then there's no joy. Does that make sense? We don't think about it a lot. Part of the reason we have this picture of God being the stoic old man with a giant beard is because we've so, we have so uh, misunderstood God's omnipotence, knowing everything all the time, that we don't realize that there are some things in us that when we relate to him, it in some ways, surprises him because he has protected a part of his heart. I believe he's actually protected a part of his heart from some aspects of the future so that he can relate to us in a, in a new way in the moment that is very much like, does this make sense? So, that'll make some people very uncomfortable, but it's okay. Why else would it say that it made him happy? It, how could it make him happy if he wasn't somehow surprised and enjoy? And we can just we can make God happy. It's hard to believe that small creatures can make the... Um, omnipotent God, smile. See, wise people are not just living to feel God's pleasure, but, but they're living to be a blessing and to bring God pleasure. Uh, wisdom has a way of bringing pleasure to God. Wisdom is expression of the smile of God, and at the same time, it brings a smile to God. Uh, wisdom, is, wisdom is seeking a greater dependence on God. It's one of the reasons that he just enjoys it so much. It's realizing that we need him. And this was precisely the test that God gave Solomon when he gave him the blank check. See, most of our gut reactions to that offer would actually make us more resistant to God. But when God comes to Solomon and gives him an offer, his answer is, I want to be more dependent on you. That's essentially what he's saying. Let's just play the game here again and we'll do some logic. If God came to you and he said, hey, whatever you want, tell me, I'll give it to you. Most of us in the room, especially if we weren't here listening to a sermon in the purple chair because there's a lot of Jedi magic in there. If you were just at your home... If you were just at home on a Monday, like you just got home from work and God came and made you that offer, probably you would ask for a lot of money. You would probably ask for a lot of money, or if you were really slick and cunning, you'd ask for more wishes. But eventually you'd get around to asking for more money. And here's what happens. Let's say that God gave you $10 trillion. That's an impossible amount of money to spend. You could spend money for the rest of your life and never burn up $10 trillion. You could have bonfires with $10 trillion. And at the end of your life, you could still be have a fire burning. And here's what would happen. Probably after three or four years of having $10 trillion, $20 trillion, you'd buy everything you wanted. You'd have everything you need. People would think you're awesome. People would want to be your friend. They wouldn't really want to be your friend. They just want to your money. You'd have an amazing car. You'd have a hotter wife. You'd have a better husband. You'd have a bigger house. You'd have more stuff. You'd have the fastest internet. And you would, <laughs> you would, you would wake up in the morning. You would put on your Google Glass, and you would wear it for a while. And when you got 
ready to do something different, you wouldn't even save that Google Glass. You would just throw it in the trash because you have so much money. And really slowly, really, really slowly in this atmosphere of I have everything I need, your heart would die and you would not love the Lord anymore. Most likely. Most likely. Why? I don't need him. I don't need him. Isn't it interesting that when God comes to Solomon and says, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. Subtext, I need help. Greater dependence on God. Most of us, if we were to get that offer from God, we would give an answer that would make us insolent to God. Solomon gives an answer that makes him open to God. It's amazing. See, if I have a lot of money, fame, power, and peace, I'm good. You're probably kind of similar. If you've got a lot of money, if everybody's talking good about you, you've got peace, you're good. Let's turn it around here for a second. How many of you would be willing to admit in this room by a show of hands that most of your prayer life is crisis-oriented? How many of you are willing to admit that most of your prayers that you've prayed in your life has been a result of crisis? Can I tell you what that means? It means, number one, we're not wise. If there's cycles of crisis, that's foolishness. Bad stuff happens to good people, but if it's over and over and over, it ain't them, it's you. <laughs> really? Like, some of us need to wake up to that. Like If bad stuff happens to you all the time, it's not other people, it's you. Wake up. Secondly, the second thing that prayer only in a time of crisis means, it's actually revealing. It's that subharmonic level in our hearts again. What it really means is, is when everything's good, I don't need the Lord. It means that we kind of already have the heart that says, if God came and offered me a blank check, I probably wouldn't write it right. See, trials are refinement for refinement and tests are... For revealing what's really there. And as, and as much as hard times show us who we are, it's, it's actually blessing that's way more telling. Most of us actually handle hardship way better than we handle blessing. I believe one of the things the Lord would like to do is grow up character enough so that he could actually bless you even more. But we have to grow some character. When God shows up, we have to say, you know what, rather than money, what I need is wisdom. See, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, pain is God's megaphone in the world, shouting out that we need him. My question is this. What do we do when the megaphone is gone? It's interesting. Solomon, he lived in a world of no megaphone. But he could still hear his need. He had everything. He had servants. He had everything. And he could still hear his need. That's stunning. Absolutely stunning. Many people, me included, this is mostly me, Many people have loved God through the hard times, but far fewer through tremendous blessing. I believe that God would like to empower us. I believe he would like to raise us up. I believe he would like to grow character in us, that he could bless us the way he really wants to. I believe very few people actually get blessed by the Lord in the way he wants to bless them. The main reason why is this, is because God is very apprehensive about blessing you in a way that will ultimately pervert you and ruin you. He'll just, he'll just resist. It's hard. I mean, think about it. If you're a dad, like if you're a really good dad and you've got a son who's off the rails, do you just keep pouring money on that fire? No, good dad just 
See, most of us have handled hard times more than we have good times. But here's the thing. Solomon not only asks rightly, and not only does God end up giving him what he asked for in wisdom, but then God gives more. It just shows the heart of God. Who is God? He's the guy that if you ask rightly, not only do you get what you asked for, but you get what you didn't ask for. God says, because you didn't ask for money and honor, and you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm also going to give you riches and honor. Wisdom has two sisters, riches and honor. How many of you understand if you go for wisdom, if you go for wisdom, you'll get riches and honor, but if you go for riches and honor, there's a good chance you won't get wisdom. It's really strange, but this is sort of the way this kingdom world works. It's, it's upside down. It's upside down. No one who goes for wisdom will acquire only wisdom. She has sisters, riches, and honor. So to ask for wisdom is to ask God for more than we even know. Um, this is, in some ways, the idea that Jesus is sharing on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if you seek the kingdom, you'll get everything else. How many of you have spent, spent some part of your life seeking everything else? How much of the kingdom did you get? Isn't that weird? Isn't it weird? It is so weird. You can seek the kingdom and you get everything else. But if you go for everything else, eh, not much kingdom there. If you, if you go for wisdom, you'll get riches and honor. If you go for riches and honor, you might not get wisdom. Uh, this is so ingrained into kingdom culture. That it shows up in really surprising ways. I was talking with a friend yesterday, and we were talking about how Jesus chose his 12 disciples and thought, what a weird ragtag group they were. And we were just talking about what kind of, what kind of stuff did Jesus have on board to hang out with these guys, right? And then we got to talking about Judas. This is tremendous. This is just tremendous. How many of you realize that Jesus never kicked Judas off his team? If you read the scripture really closely, one of the things you'll realize is that Jesus never kicked Judas off the team, even though Judas was a betrayer. How many of you understand that Jesus knew the whole time that Judas was a betrayer? What's, what's, what's in it? Here's what's in it. There was room in God's kingdom for Judas, but there was not room in Judas for God's kingdom. Walked out. See, if you pursue the kingdom of God first, everything else. Pursue everything else, no kingdom. Pursue wisdom, riches and honor. Go after riches and honor, you'll be a fool. Wow. Stunning. See, church, this is where you and I need to wake up. We need to wake up right here. Let's not be preoccupied with everything else. Let's have some laser-like focus on gaining wisdom. Now, the context for everything we've read this morning is something that I think is really important and is maybe the biggest word of the Lord for us this morning. There's bookends in this passage that we've read this morning. There's one bookend propped up on the front, and there's the same bookend propped up on the back side of this. And then in the middle is a God encounter where Solomon meets God and gets a blank check. But the context, the thing, the container that holds this whole story, and actually I think holds wisdom in its proper place, is this. It's worship. Look at what the scripture says. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. 
says, Solomon loved the Lord, walked in his statutes of his father David. And he went to Gibeon and sacrificed there, for that was the great high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Somehow worship provided the context for this God encounter. And then look, what happens afterwards? After he has this encounter and gets the blank check from God, it says, verse 15, that Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem, and he stood before the Ark of the Covenant, the place of God's presence. And he offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he made a feast for all of his servants. See, Solomon is worship. He's a worshiper. And there is something about worship that provides the container and provides the proper context for us to live in God encounter and to gain wisdom. And here's why. Because in order to enter into worship, in order to enter into God's presence, in order to enjoy it, it requires foundationally right up front first that you and I have to acknowledge that there is a God and that we're not him. This is, this is such simple stuff. But it is the absolute foundation. This is, in some ways, the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is worship. It is, the, it is the ability, the innate ability, the humble heart to say, there is a God and I'm not him. See the humility there already? That kind of humility is the soil that, that, wisdom, that wisdom can grow in. So if you're a worshiper, if you're a worshiper here at the vineyard, you're already taking steps to grow in wisdom. You may not have known it, But it's happening. Here's the deal. If you're the kind of person who shows up Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and you just have your hands up and your heart is wide open and you're bringing a gift to Jesus every single Sunday, you cannot be refused. God will pour out his heart on you. It may not happen all at once. It may not happen in six months. It may not even happen in a year. You do this for five years, you won't be the same person. You'll be wiser. You'll be smarter. There'll be honor that'll come on your life. Why? Because you have, you have done something profound in the world. You have done something profound uh, for human beings to acknowledge there is a God and I'm not him. And I need him. That little cry in the middle there, I need him, that's where wisdom comes from. That, that, that cry that he is wonderful, that's the place that begins to spring out. That begins to spring out that we, that we need God. That's where, wisdom, that's where wisdom grows from. And that's why here at the Vineyard we want to give some space on the front end of our meeting. And we don't want to be super uptight and we don't want to be super, super regimented about it. We want to give a nice long spot there because there's nothing more important than coming and giving God something. Uh, you see it in the text here. Solomon shows up and he, and he brings God a thousand bulls. And then even after God meets him, he goes back and he gives God something else. See, here's the deal, church. Uh, church is not about what you can get from it. It's about what did you come to give? Uh, the heart that came to give something is the heart that is wide open for a God encounter. It's wide open to answer rightly when he gives you a, a, a blank check. The heart that comes to take the heart that comes to take, the heart that comes to only receive, the heart that never gives. And by the way, what am I talking about when I say giving? I'm talking about actually singing. I'm talking about actually putting our hands up. I'm talking about entering in. I'm talking about declaring the goodness of God. I'm talking about dropping offerings of money, actual money in the offering basket. I'm talking about helping in kids' church. If you don't do that stuff, if you don't do that stuff, if God were to come to you, and if you were to recognize that it was God, and if he gave you a blank check, you would ask for what you didn't give. You will ask for money. You will ask for power. You will ask for fame. You will ask for every single thing you didn't give, and it will be a wasted moment. How did Solomon answer rightly? Because he came to give. 
He gave a thousand bulls. I have no idea how much that cost. It's a lot. And, it, and it's not about the number. God doesn't need your money. And he doesn't, need, he doesn't even need the words that come out of your mouth. But because you do give your money, because you do give the words that come out of your mouth, because the melody of your heart, because you are willing to open that up and let it join with heaven's melody, something profound happens. Something profound happens. God doesn't need it. He's not the biggest egotist in the world. He's not, he's not insecure. If you don't worship, it doesn't change the culture of his heart or his mind at all. But he knows that if you do, you need it. You need it. We need, we need the culture of our hearts and our minds to change. We need to engender the soil of our lives so that wisdom can grow. We need to be people who could actually seek first the kingdom so that we could get everything else. We, could, we have to. Anything you don't give is what you would ask for. God would come to you, he'd write the blank check, and we would ask for the wrong thing and it would ruin us. This is why we have to be givers. This is why we have to be givers. Church, when we come here on Sunday morning, it is not primarily about receiving. It is primarily about giving. And I'll just be honest. Here at the Vineyard, we've, we've become way too subdued in our worship. Uh, let me, I'm just going to speak pastorally here for a moment. We have become way too uptight. Uh, we have become way too reserved. And I'm not talking about manipulation here. I'm not manipulating anybody. I'm not trying to manipulate anyone. I'm just saying that we have taken on a relaxed posture toward God and we have not given him a John on your breast and a Mary at your feet. And that's what he's looking for. His favorite people, his favorite people are always worshipers and worshipers always ask, answer the right questions in the right way. Uh, people who come to take always get it wrong. Judas hung himself. Why? He was a taker. He was stealing out of the purse. John laid on Jesus's breast and he says, that guy, that guy, that guy, Listen, he's not going to die until he sees my kingdom come in its fullness. There was only a handful of people who hung with Jesus all the way to the cross. It was only the givers. It was only the worshipers. It was John the Beloved. It was Mary at his feet and it was his mother. Everyone else deserted him. Everyone else. Anything you don't give is what you would ask for and it would ruin you. We have to be givers. We have to let the fire of worship come back in our hearts. We have, to, we have to come to our senses a little bit and say, you know what? There's a God in heaven and I'm not him. I'm a little bit smart here. I'm a little bit smart there. But there's a God in heaven and I am not him. We have to say, God, you are wonderful. I love you. I don't even know how to love you, but I just love you. I, I want to love you more. I want to love you more. It's, it's not singing into nothing. That is the spirit of... The spirit of the age, that is a secularized spirit that has rested on the church that has made us believe that God is not present. It's been going on for 200 years, probably longer than that. It's that feeling that no matter what I do or what I say, God is absent. It is not true. We don't have to go on feelings. Part of the Christian life is faith. Sometimes you just have to enter in by faith. Forget your feelings. Just say, God, you are wonderful. I don't even feel you. It feels like all of my songs and all of my prayers and all of my love are hitting this drop ceiling. Who cares? I'm going to give you something by faith because everything I give, I can receive a million times over. I am preaching. Listen, this is, this is the major shift that the world has to take lovers of Jesus, like lovers of Jesus, really, really lovers of Jesus. It's not even about trying harder. It's just about getting smart, getting smart. I'm telling you, the person who doesn't give their heart, it's a fool. 
Who cares what color? And it doesn't matter what car they drive, how big their house is, how hot their wife is, how handsome their husband is, or how things have gone in their life. Someone who doesn't worship God is a fool. Amen? Why don't we stand up? I'll tell you what, here's what we're not going to do this morning. We're not even going to sing another song. I could do that. I understand enough about meetings that like, we could get up here and we could play a song. This place would go nuts. And that would be good. It actually would be good. God would receive it. It would be good for you. We're not even going to do that. We're just going to have a moment here where we just say, God, I want to be a Solomon. I want to be a Solomon. I want to, be, I want to ask rightly when you write the blank check. I believe, that there is, I believe there's seasons in every single person's life where God comes and he opens this opportunity up. You can, you can only receive what you give. Let's just put our hands out like this. We're going to go full vineyard this morning. God, we just love you. God, and in areas where I don't love you, I want to love you more. And God, in areas where I don't feel you, I'm going to operate by faith. Feelings aren't everything. They're important. They're not everything. God, we ask for grace. God, we ask for grace. Father, right now I ask all over this room that a John at your breast and a Mary at your feet heart would fall on us and it would just take root. Not manipulation, not guilt, just, just the, the, the awareness that you are worthy. There is a God in heaven and we are not him. Now, God, we ask that you would come with your wisdom. God, we ask that you would, that you would give us the opportunity to have a blank check from you. And God, we ask that by grace that we would be people who answer rightly. the Lord. Some of us in the room are just feeling like heavy, like there's this heavy thing that's resting on your shoulders. That's just the presence and the tender love of Jesus. That's what it feels like when the Spirit comes. Some of us here, even right now, are starting to feel like hot fire down down your back, and uh, that's that's the Holy Spirit as well. And we ask for more of that, God. More. Come with your power. Come with your power. Who in here is feeling like really feeling the Holy Spirit? Just as won't you just, would you put your hand up? Anybody here really feeling the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Amen. Uh, okay, I tell you what. Anybody in here like just not feeling the Holy Spirit at all? Like you know He's here in your brain, but you just don't feel Him, and you want to. Would you put your hand up? It's totally cool. All right. All right. Was, some, was somebody who was feeling the Holy Spirit, come over here and pray for Stephen. Stephen, you're, you're just being honest. You're not the only one. You're just, you're, you're just being honest. That's great. Like, we don't have to perform for God. Pray for let's just Let's just begin to pass that fire along. Thanks, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. These people who are receiving prayer, get prayer. We are going to have prophetic teams this morning. So if you want prophetic ministry, go sign up with Travis. And we have some people who will speak good words over you. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Go in peace.